Let's dive into this. Take out your handout sheet that was given to you at the front door. Take out your Bibles. If you don't have one, there should be one under the seat in front of you. We are starting a brand new series this morning entitled The Awakened Series to the book of 2 Thessalonians. And so I thought, what is a creative title? And it was Wake Up to 2 Thessalonians. <laughs> My creativity has no bounds. So real quick, just to make this kind of personal for all of us, uh, just kind of a, a show of hands thing. And before we do this, you got to have it in your mind. When was the time that you began to walk with the Lord uh, in strength? Meaning that maybe as a child, you knew God was there and you said, Lord, I want to be yours. But you really didn't start following him maybe till college or maybe until the age 39 or whatever it was. So think of the time that you started following God with your heart. So I'm going to ask you real quick, how many of us, you've been walking with the Lord 10 years or more? Raise your hand. 10 years or more. All right. There's a good amount of you. Put that down. All right. So let's see the 10 years or less. Raise your hand. 10 years or less. Okay, good. Are there any five years or less? Where are you guys at? All right. Are there any one year or less in our midst? Good. We got a couple, got a couple over here. All right. One year or less. Can I have you stand up? That's super awkward. Stand up. One year or less. Praise the Lord. Amen. All right. Stay standing. Stay standing. Hold up. Hold up. Stay standing. We're going to pray for you because uh, we believe that you're part of our family. We believe that you need some backup and some protection. So we're going to pray for you. And then, of course, you can sit down. We're done. All right. Let's just pray. Heavenly Father, for our brothers and sisters, Lord, that are walking with you, we are so excited that they're here. We consider it an honor that you would allow them into our midst, that we might be able to know their passion and their excitement for you, that they were recently rescued. And so we consider this such a wonderful celebration day that they would be with us. So father, would you protect them and surround them? Uh, father, I ask that you would shove back any discouragement away from their lives. Don't let the enemy after them, allow them to know you and to love you and be able to feel like they are in the very center of your eye and Lord, that you would just encourage them and care for them. Allow them to know Lord, not only do you love them, but they are in a warm family that cares about them. And I pray, Lord, that they would not think that, oh, this is just a phase. What have I done? But, Lord, that it becomes real and alive and stronger every day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can sit down. Uh, we are so excited you're here. The reason why I mention that is to those of you that, that stood up or you know about being saved recently, you're going to tie into this book maybe more than the rest of us, because the Thessalonian church was a brand new baby church. We are writing, we are seeing a writing of Paul very early in his career ministry of writing. As a matter of fact, it is believed that Second Thessalonians is the third letter that we have that Paul ever wrote. The first letter would have been to the church in Galatia. Then it would have been First Thessalonians, and then nine months later, Second Thessalonians. So we are very early in Paul's ministry. He makes uh, a grand entrance into the town of Thessalonica, which we'll talk about, and he sets up this church, and then he gets chased out of town after a number of months. He walks away from all these baby Christians, and he's worried about them. What you're going to find in this letter is a tremendous pastor's heart, where Paul is almost gushing emotional. 
Now, when you read his epistles or you read some of his other stuff, Paul seems kind of mean. Paul seems kind of detached or Paul seems he's not. He's very passionate about the churches he plants and the believers that come to faith under his ministry. And so we're going to start today by soaking in first Thessalonians to get an idea on what these people are like and what the relationship is between Paul and the church in Thessalonica. Would you turn with me to first Thessalonians chapter one, verse two, these Thessalonians had the greatest hearts. And this is what I love. I would rather, uh, in many ways, hang out with brand new Christians because they're on fire for God. Now, a lot of times, y'all remember what it was like when you first got saved, that you were, you were so passionate for Jesus, you ended up saying a lot of stupid things, but you were super passionate for Jesus. You didn't quite know how it all works out, but you knew I used to be like this, and now I am, I'm completely transformed the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. Now I'm a whole new being. Behold, all things have become new. I am a new creation. The sun has set me free indeed. And you have all this understanding and it soaks through your whole body. That's a brilliant place to be. And that's kind of where they were at. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 2. Listen to Paul's heart and how emotional he is about this. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and your labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you. Why? Look at verse 5. This is, this is a critical piece for, for Bridgeway. This is kind of one of my, one of my main verses. Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction. Meaning when the church got started, they had instant persecution. They got beat up a lot with the joy of the Holy Spirit, but it didn't matter to them. Real quick pause on that. The word came to them in affliction and yet they had joy. How's that possible? Well, when you really, really love Jesus, what other people think or what other people do to you doesn't matter as much. I'll give you an example. Remember the lady that came and anointed Jesus in the Pharisee's house? Okay, let's set that tone real quick. What is a Pharisee like? They are the super legalistic, know everything about the Bible people. They are the, I got all the rules down. I live so righteous. Everyone can see what a perfect person I am. And it says that when this woman came into the house, she was known as a sinful woman. That's pretty rough because that means your whole reputation. Everybody knows what block you work on. Everybody knows everything about you. She comes into the house. Talk about judgment. I mean, there's no way to feel smaller than to walk into a hyper-religious environment when you know you're a well-known sinner and everyone is judging you. She comes into the house. Is she worried about that? Nope. Goes right up to Jesus, breaks apart expensive perfume, starts anointing his feet, anointing his hair, starts weeping. She doesn't care what everyone else thinks 
She doesn't care about their judgments of her. She has her Jesus. And if Jesus is right next to her, so what about the other people? And that type of love, that type of joy was permeating the Thessalonian church to where even in their afflictions, you can't crush their joy. Reminds me of Mary and Martha, right? Mary's sitting at the feet of Jesus. Remember Martha's cooking the meal because the meal won't cook itself. You remember that? And the whole time she's banging pots and pans to try to remind her sister. So the whole kitchen's like, clang, 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 you know, all over the place. And she constantly is out loud going, oh, if only I had help in here. <laughs> right? Did Mary fall for it? Did she bend to peer pressure? No, why? Because Jesus is right in front of her. As long as she had her Jesus, who cares? He said, you know what? Just seeing you, watching your joy, even when you're beat down. You know what? We all see it. You became, verse 7, you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere. Everybody knows who you are. So we don't need to say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. Go to chapter 2, verse 7. How did Paul and the leadership act around them as new believers? He said this, we were gentle among you. Like a nursing mother taking care of her own children, so being affectionately desirous of you. We were ready to share not only the gospel of God, but our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. Are we seeing the gushing emotional stuff here? I mean, these are heavy words. Verse 9, for you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We work night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim the gospel of God. You are witnesses and God also how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And we thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. Last one, go to verse 17. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, only in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again wanted to come, but Satan hindered us for what is our hope or our joy or our crown of boasting before the Lord Jesus at his coming. Is it not you? You are our glory and joy. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother, and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ to establish and exhort you in your faith so that no one be moved by these afflictions. All right. So we have this young church desperately loved by Paul and his team. They got pulled away early. And I'll tell you that story in a moment. But they got called away. They got persecuted and chased away. They left in the middle of the night. Here we have these young believers who are fired up for the Lord but don't have a clue what they're doing. 
They had so many questions. I mean, imagine those of us that have been walking in the faith for some time, you forget how complicated Christianity seems to a new believer. They're walking in going, I don't even know what you're talking about. Uh, you keep mentioning all these different fancy words and I don't, I don't get it. You keep saying Jesus is coming back. Is he coming back like now or is he coming back like tomorrow? And you go, I don't know. Well, that doesn't help me. So they had all these crazy questions in their mind. And you know what? Sometimes we get so excited that someone gets saved and that they're now a nice person that we kind of just go away and we leave them alone. And we're kind of like, well, hey, at least they're not a jerk anymore. That is not the point. The point is not did someone get saved so they can be a nice person. Good intentions, good hearts is not enough. We have a responsibility as Christians to grow up in our faith. And next week we're going to be talking about maturity, what it means to grow up in the faith, what it means to to become mature. Well, this great passion is not bad. It's just not enough. Now, understand, sometimes it's the most important thing. Okay, I'm not, I really don't want to degrade this. Do you remember uh, when John wrote the book of Revelation, God gave him a vision of seven churches and he kind of hammered on them and said, hey, you're doing this awesome. You're not doing this great. Well, when he got to the church of Ephesus, he said, you guys, your doctrine is solid. You don't cave under pressure. You're completely tied into what you need to be doing. However, you've lost your first love. You don't even love me like you used to. You don't love me like you just got saved. You don't love me like you know that you were saved from a lot of stuff. And you know what? If you do not fall back in love with me and reconnect with me like you did at the beginning, I will remove your lampstand away from the purposes of what I'm doing. So does God take new passion? Does God take love seriously? Yeah, but he doesn't want us to just be passionately in love and have no direction. He doesn't want us just to be brand new, excited and not know what in the world to do with it. There has to be a harnessing. There has to be a direction. There has to be some maturity that is built in. We are not allowed to just get saved and go run off on our own and just start talking about stuff we don't know about. There has to be some mentoring, some discipleship, some training, some guidance, some people around us. Great hearts with assumption and immaturity can be incredibly dangerous. And unfortunately, the Thessalonians were getting scared and confused because they didn't know everything yet. And they were making a lot of assumptions that weren't true. Let me give you an example. Because Some of the key reasons why Paul had to write this letter are some pretty practical questions that they had like this. Hey, Paul, we're getting beat up for our faith. Is that normal? I thought getting, becoming a Christian was an awesome thing. How come nobody likes me anymore? How come everybody's on my case? How come the state is all over me? How come they're getting mad? Who cares whether or not I'm worshiping Jesus? Why am I getting beat up for this stuff? So Paul writes them a little bit about that. And then they said, you told us Jesus is coming back anytime, but we're kind of getting this persecution stuff. Does that mean we missed it? Did he already come back and we lost it? We're not left behind, are we? 
Paul said, hold on, no, that's not what happened. And they had all these questions where their whole faith was getting hijacked. They're saying, there are people here that are claiming religious reasons on why they don't want to work anymore. They're just going to hang out and wait for Jesus to come. Problem is, I'm having to buy all their food. I don't want to do that. So God, can, uh, uh, can you at least get Paul back over here? Paul, can you correct these people for me? Because they're not, they're not doing what's right. They're all leeching off of us. And they're going, oh, Jesus is coming any moment. Do you have any food? And it becomes, they're going, man, it's, it's, everything's upside down. We don't know what we're doing. Can you give us some guidance? Paul wrote them two letters. Bottom line is the fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you is this. Good hearts still need good leadership. Good hearts still need good leadership. As I said, there's a responsibility for believers to be trained up under good leadership. Second Timothy 2 Timothy 2.15 Paul said to Timothy, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. So why are we covering this book? Why are we covering 2 Thessalonians? Well, because it's a beautiful complement to our series through Isaiah. Isaiah was an Old Testament book where God kept blowing people up and saying, come back to me and understand all this stuff about me matters. Stop letting the world press in and take away your focus. Get back on me. Get back focused on what I asked you to do. Well, in the New Testament, 2 Thessalonians does the same thing. Hey, wake up. Jesus is going to come back. You will be held accountable for the lives that you lead. You do not just get to blend in with the world and just go about your own thing as if it was all about you. It's not all about you. And therefore, I need you to wake up. That's kind of why we're doing this book. But if you're new with us, every time we go into a brand new book, we always ask the following questions. Who wrote it? Who they write it to? In other words, what ancient mail are we opening up? And why? Why do we care? Why is this included in the Bible? What, do we, what kind of context or background do we need to know so we can figure out what God's trying to tell us? There's a reason why this letter is in the Bible. What can we learn? Well, that's what we are here to do. Turn with me to 2 Thessalonians 1.1. 2 Thessalonians 1.1, page 989. Could we throw up the map um, of, that we have for... This weekend, here we go. Let me give you a little bit of a an understanding about this location and how this letter came to be. So, first of all, let's get a little geography down. Uh, probably on here, you know a couple of these places on the map, but you'll notice Italy, and you'll probably recognize Greece. So, these are both very common today. Some of the other ones you're, you're maybe not familiar with, but Greece. Uh, is you think about the Greek Isles and the the Mediterranean Sea and how beautiful they are and vacationing, right? I'm trying to hook you on this. Greece is right there on the left. As you go around the circle over to the other side that says Galatia, that's Turkey. Now, here's something that you may not know. Um, All seven churches of Revelation are over in Galatia. They're over in Turkey. Paul grew up in Tarsus, in Turkey. The Colossians, the Ephesians, they're all in Turkey. 
So it's funny because a lot of people, when you think about holy lands and where the Bible stuff happened, you always think it's all in Israel. It's actually not. A lot of the New Testament is all in Greece and Turkey. And you don't think about the Turkey side of things until you go over there. I had an opportunity to go over there a number of years back and took about a thousand photos, none of which were in focus, unfortunately. But it was brilliant when I was there. We flew in over by Tarsus. We saw where Paul was born and we went through and went along the coast and visited all these places. Ephesus is a stunning, beautiful, one of the greatest archaeological sites in all the world to be able to see the ancient world. As you come around, you go up, see the little land bridge up at the top there? Well, this is where something interesting happened. We were driving up on a bus and we got to the top of that and you have to get off the Turkish bus get all your luggage off, walk across the bridge, and put it all onto a Greek bus because they do not hang out together. So the Turks and the Greeks have always had a little bit of rift between the two of them. So we then came in through the top. That's on the top of Turkey is Istanbul. If you're familiar with Constantinople or a lot of those areas, you come through and we came down into Philippi, and that is the first place over in Europe that the gospel came and it came through Paul. So let me tell you a little bit about that story. Paul on his first missionary journey stayed over on the Turkish side of things. On his second missionary journey, he came up to a city just above Ephesus there called Troas. He was on the beach and he was praying and God gave him a vision. How ironic and how odd that the reason why we have church here in modern day America at the time that we do is because of a vision. The vision was that Paul saw a man from Macedonia and he said, you've got to come and bring the gospel to us. At that point, Paul determined to sail across the Mediterranean Sea and he went to Philippi first. He arrived in that town, set up a church. Some people got saved. Some influential people got saved. They set up a little home church there. But sure enough, as he was doing his ministry, it irritated all the people. They grab him and his friends. They beat them with rods and they throw them into prison. Now, this becomes a famous story. On Paul's first missionary journey, he was with a guy named Barnabas. Barnabas and Paul were partners. They split up for the second and third missionary journeys and Paul took on a new partner. His name was Silas. Silas and Paul were beaten and thrown into jail. And what were they doing in jail with all the welts on their back that night, chained between guards in a nasty, dark dungeon? What were they doing that night? Singing worship songs. They got a whole different mindset on what's going on, right? They were worshiping out loud. All the prisoners were listening to them. The jailer was interested in what's going on. He had never seen anything like this. They were glorifying God in the midst of their difficulty and challenges. And sure enough, God struck it with an earthquake. All the chains broke off. The doors broke open. And the jailer got saved that night. He and his whole household. They then left Philippi and went down to Thessalonica. They set up a a small church there. We're only there for maybe three months or a little bit more. And then the Jews got mad at them for stirring up some problems and chased them out in the middle of the night. They left, leaving this brand new church, and they went down to a city called Berea, stayed a little while there, and then Paul ended up down in Athens. So how did they get started? They came in through, had a brand new baby church, 
and then they were on their own. That's pretty rough. It says right here in their letter, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So many times we want to go immediately to, what does the Bible say for me? What does the Bible say for me? And we blow right past the greeting. You missed it. Here's what you missed. Who's Paul? If you're around the church for any length of time, you're going to hear this guy's name ad nauseum. Why? Because he wrote at least 13 books of the New Testament. He is, aside from Jesus, one of the greatest evangelists of all time. He established and broke new ground. He was beaten and whipped and imprisoned and shipwrecked and stoned to death and came back to life. This guy has had everything bad happen to him. He lived the life and he promoted Jesus Christ where his name had never been heard before. And whenever you have someone like that, you need to listen to what they have to say. There's a pastor in the area named Wally. Shorter, slight build, Asian guy. And I remember going, Wally, how did that work? And I meet this pastor and I'm like, he is a super nice guy. And instantly you kind of are drawn to him just because he's incredibly friendly. And, he, and so I met him at a city pastor's fellowship gathering and he runs a church uh, called The Gathering over in Roseville. And he walks away and somebody else comes up to me and they go, dude, you know Wally? I'm like, well, I just met Wally. And I said, why? What's going on? Have you ever heard his testimony? Nope. Just, he just, he was super nice. That guy was in prison for years overseas and tortured for his faith every day. Okay. Well, instantly Wally took on a whole new ball game for me. It's like, dang, whatever that guy is going to say next, I'm taking it dead serious. Anyone that is tortured and persecuted and held in prisons for Jesus Christ automatically has my respect. Paul is writing this letter and he's been there, done that. And he has his team with him. Silvanus is who? Silas. It's just a Latin form of Silas. So Paul and Silas, and then they have Paul's protege, Timothy, who he's always been kind of special to me because he came into the ministry as a young man. And here's what's fascinating. Paul says, when I was coming through, you're this little kid. You get fired up for Jesus in my ministry. I can't take you at the time. You were too young. But I remember when it was a prophetic word about what God was doing in your life. And you got all excited and you were role modeling your mom and your grandma. And you knew the scriptures and you came alive in Jesus. And then I laid hands on you and you received the spiritual gift, probably of preaching and teaching. And it flamed into you. Man, Timothy, you became my son in the faith on that day. You're now my protege, my apprentice. And now everywhere I go, if I need something's done of the highest degree, I send you. This is a pretty big team. There's another guy with them. We find that out because his story about settling this church is in Acts 17. Who else is with them? Well, the guy that was writing Acts, who wrote Acts, Luke. Dr. Luke traveled with them, not Picard. Right? Forget it. (laughs) 
I just, right in my mind, I'm like, it was Jean-Luc Picard. Anyway, it's not important. Right in my, this is how you derail a message, just so you know. The nerds appreciate, thank you, Jay. For all of you nerds, that was for you. All right. So sure enough, Luke, the doctor, who is, he made an orderly account of everything. He wrote the book of Acts and he wrote the book of Luke. And as he's writing all this down, he kept saying the word, we did this, we did that. So we know that he's part of the team. Silas later on went to go write for Peter. They were all kind of together. But you have this incredible team that settles this church right there in Thessalonica to the church of the Thessalonians. He uses a very non-religious word, church. Now we think that church is a very religious word, not when Paul was using it. All it meant was the gathering of people. And that was a word that everybody used. But he said, wait, 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 wait. Let me be very clear. The church, the body of Christ is not a building. It's the people. So when we all get together, the church is here. When we go outside, the church leaves. The building is not it. So if we're ever going to talk about what we should we do as a church and how, how should the church be, we're not talking about the walls of this place. We're talking about us to the church that is in Thessalonica. Now, Thessalonica was settled in 315 BC. It used to be called Therma. Why? Hot springs. Not rocket science. Well, hey, you guys, this place is really hot. What should we call it? Let's call it hot. Fantastic. In 315 BC, one of Alexander the Great's generals by the name of Cassander resettles this town and names it Thessalonica. Why? Because it was his wife's name. Makes it easy. Now, if you want to know how weird and creepy the whole Greek empire was, Alexander the Great's kind of a big deal, yeah? Cassander, his general, kills his mom. Right? Olympias. Why? Well, she dared to oppose him. Don't do that. So he kills her, but marries Alexander the Great's half-sister so that everybody's cool. What? How does that even work? So Alexander the Great's half-sister was named Thessalonica, which becomes the city name. That's it. And it comes from the root word Nike, right? Because her family started a shoe company in 315 (laughs) B.C., Nike means victory. This city has always been amazing because it has one of the premier harbors in the area. It's still a city running today. As a matter of fact, it is second in population today only to Athens. It has 300,000 people in there today. In Paul's day, it had 200,000 people. It was built in an amphitheater-like structure on the hillside around the beautiful harbor. It had the Ignatian Way running right through it. That is the famous Roman road. One of the things the Romans did that no one had ever even heard of was called paved highways. When you go over there, it's still this modern city and all the ancient city is underneath it. So you'll see modern building, modern building, and then there's an empty lot and a little bit of archaeological dig. And then modern city, modern, you know what I'm saying? It was so weird. And then you saw a little thing that looks like a park and it's roped off, but it's a piece of the old Roman highway. Just so you can see it in the middle of town. Now, ironically enough, Pastor Mark is leading a trip next year in April to this location. If you have a heart to follow the footsteps of Paul, 
They're going for a 14-day journey to be able to walk through Turkey and into Greece. If you want to see this stuff for yourself, he'll, he'll organize the trip out and figure out how to get you there. That information is out in the lobby. But know this. Cassander settles it in 315 BC, and when the Romans take it over, they break it into four categories, Macedonia, and they name Thessalonica the capital of one of those. Eventually, it becomes so close to the Roman Empire, it becomes the capital of the whole region. This is an important city. It was so important that they became heavily involved in the imperial cult. The imperial cult means this. The head of the Roman Empire was considered a god. So Julius Caesar was considered a god. And so the way that you would honor the government was you would take every year a pinch of incense, throw it in the fire, and say Caesar is God. Well, that doesn't work with Christians. We don't do that. And therefore, persecution broke out heavily in these areas that were very highly governmental connected. It was a free city, but heavily political. Last thing that I'll say about that city before we move on is that in World War I, it was an allied base. In World War II, it was taken over by the Germans and all 60,000 Jews were deported and exterminated. Brutal history. All right. So here's what we got. To the Thessalonian church, in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice that he says in the Lord Jesus Christ twice. Why? Well, first of all, have you noticed that it's on the same line as God our Father? To a Jew, that's radical. Why? You just made him equal. Is Jesus really equal with the Father? Yeah, he really is. He's the Son of God. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the only thing I want to say about that as we close. When we are rescued by God and we are taken from a kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, there are blessings that flow from that. Peace and grace. If you are a Christian, it should make a difference. If you truly believe that you have been rescued, if you truly believe that God now knows you, if you truly believe that Jesus Christ's blood has covered you and you've been cleansed and forgiven and grace is the new rule in your life, then you should be able to rest easier because if things are right with God, then everything is right. Sometimes... It's only the new Christians that know that. Because they remember when a time that it wasn't. He who has been forgiven much loves much. He who has forgiven little loves little. Do you love much? Are you thankful? Do you have the passion of Christ? Are you growing up in your faith? Are you engaging with it? Are you willing to sit under leadership and training and say, God, I want more of you. I'm not content with the way the world is telling me to live. I want something different. If that's you, you're in the right place. You're sitting under the teaching of God. You're in God's word. You're praying consistently. You're crying out to him. You don't have to be in Bridgeway, but you have to be with other believers. 
you're making good choices even now and you're beginning to accelerate in your faith but please don't give up and never in your growth and development never let your passion die because that is the heart of god Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you, Lord, that we have a a whole weekend where we're having baptisms and and being excited about you and standing up in the water in our faith and, and Lord, telling the whole world how much you matter. And, Lord, that we would have uh, those of us that have been walking with you for decades and those of us that have just been walking with you for days. Lord, we praise you and glorify you here. And we ask that today you would set this beautiful foundation that as we read this letter, moving forward you would open our eyes supernaturally holy spirit that we might be quickened and the whole book would be illuminated and that we would learn from you and be transformed by you in jesus name we pray amen